from St. Louis, Missouri. Shout out to my parents who are probably listening right now. Hello. Hello, parents. Scott and Cindy Nealon. So we've been doing a series. We've been doing a series called All In. And I think All In looks different depending on who you ask. I think if you were to ask Michael Jordan what his all-in looks like compared to maybe mine, it might look a little different. If you ask Arnold with his 26-inch arms what his all-in looks like, it probably will look different than mine. But that is based on a very worldly standard. You know, God gives a pretty clear idea of what all in looks like for him. You know, the first week we looked at being all in as the key to success with King Asa. We learned the week after that that being all in is the key to happiness or wholeness, depending on how you look at it, uh, with Elisha. So today we're going to look at love. We're going to take a little bit of a turn. So today we're going to look at Solomon. And Solomon is an interesting character in the Bible because we learn a lot from his mistakes. And there are a lot of them. And we're going to take a look at some of those pitfalls and see if we can learn from them. See if we can be all in without our love being compromised. So our text today, we're going to stay in 1 Kings. And we're going to be in chapter 11. You know, I think that Solomon's eclipse, as far as falling off uh, with his all-inness for God, probably eclipses anyone else in history. You know, I think about people who maybe have fallen off. And this is, if you like a couple of these people, that's great. I'm not talking about their character I'm just saying they were high up, and then they kind of fallen off. I really think of, like, Lance Armstrong. Uh, Growing up, he was at the epitome of his sport, and then we learned of some things, and he kind of fell off. I think of someone like Richard Nixon, who is the most powerful person in the world, right, living their lives, and then they're all in this. They become compromised, and they fall off. Well, we're going to look at Solomon, and I do believe that his falling off eclipses all others. So, in 1 Kings, and just a heads up, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. I'll give you the scriptures if you don't want to jump around as much, and you can read them on your own. But I, just a heads up that we'll kind of be jumping around a bit. So, in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 6... King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. 
As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. So a passage all about love. We see a man who was once all in towards God gets turned away and loses his love for God. He made promises, he lived a life, but at the end, he fell off. And let's look at what made that so painful. Well, we know that God loved Solomon. In 1 Kings 3.12, we learn that God gives him wisdom. He asks for, of all the things he could ask for, He asked for wisdom, and God liked that. He said, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor there will ever be. So what do we learn? We learn that intelligence, family, skill, blessing, none of those good starts guarantee anything. We know that God favored him. In 2 Samuel 12, 25, she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. He appeared to him twice He gave him a special name. Look at all the things Solomon accomplished just with the Bible. He used them to train the church, right? We have Proverbs. We have Ecclesiastes, full of wisdom. Probably quotes that we quote every day, or try to. uh, But a lot of those quotes that we hear as far as living life, we owe Solomon those wisdom thoughts. You know, he gave him the honor of building the temple. And we learn that in 1 Kings chapter 6. That's all about it. He built the temple. So he was very, very special in God's eyes. So we know that he loved Solomon. When did Solomon lose his love? Well, it does tell us. It's not after that sudden temptation. There's no Bathsheba or Delilah moments that we learn about Solomon. It was during a time of peace. In fact, Solomon's name really does mean man of peace. That's what that word means. He had rest on every side. He wasn't fighting major battles. And so... It was really when he was old that we learn that he started to do those things in 1 King 11. So scholars believe that he died between 58 and 60. And so uh, one thing I, I, I think about 
uh, as far as that. To me, that's kind of young. He's old when he died. But if you think about the lifestyle he's living, I mean, when you have 700 wives, when you're trying to manage all of those things. And just to kind of clarify, I think it's good to know, is that when you're married to that many wives of royal birth, a, a lot of those, that's, that's for diplomatic relationships, right? So he needed to forge diplomatic relationships with the tribes around him. And so that's good to know in context, but that's a lot. That, that, that'd be, yeah, stressing out, but he's got that right. So it's definitely easy to, easier to start off strong than to finish strong. Uh, he warns us about becoming self-reliant in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is verse 10 and 11. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. So in the Bible... It's, it's really warning us, right? As your riches and prosperity and you get comfortable, that's when it's hardest. We become self-reliant. I know for me it's easy to sit in my home, Kelsey and the kids, and just be comfortable. Not want to get out of my shell. Not want to be all in because I'm all sitting down. I'm all comfortable, Right? All in and all comfortable are two very different things. So, we learn that there are a lot of warnings given to Solomon. Uh, We learn that David warns him multiple times. David is his father. Uh, We learn that God warns him, and he actually also warns himself. And so, we'll take a look at a couple of those right now. So David's warning, his father's warning, is in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. And that says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father, and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So, a warning from his father? How about a warning from God? In 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it says, But if you or your descendants turn away from me, And do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. Pretty strong warning, pretty strong warning given from God himself. And so he receives warnings from David. Hey, 
Don't become self-reliant. It's easy to get comfortable. He receives a warning from God himself, saying, hey, hold on. I'm giving you wisdom. You're doing all these great things. Don't forget about me. Otherwise, I'm going to just leave it to rubble. And now, how about his own warnings? He warns himself. He warns himself two times. In 1 Kings 8.23, he says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. And in Proverbs 29, verse 1, he says, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. So some in your Bible, some say stubborn to criticism. Stubborn to criticism. So if you don't heed those warnings from your father or friends or family, from God himself, or from your own wisdom and learning, you're going to run into some trouble. So we know that God loved Solomon. We see when he lost his love. So let's look at How did he lose his love? So, in chapter 11, 1 through 6 that we read, there is a couple of key things in there that we learn. Number one, he yoked himself to unbelievers. I think that having 700 wives and 300 concubines, that, it explains how they all worshipped other gods. If you are around that, for a long time. It's going to draw you astray. So his wives were foreign, was warned not to intermarry with them, and they had a different faith, right? They believed different things. They worshiped other gods. So I think one thing that this reveals is, one, wisdom in marrying in the Lord, right? That's a good uh That's a good concept that we learn right here that kind of draws him astray. And that goes with the bad company corrupts good character. I know for me, when I'm around work friends all the time and they start talking about things that are um, not good, or even it's not that they're not good, but they're just, they're pointless. They complain a lot. It's easy for me to complain. They talk about you know, issues with projects, things like that. I, I, I listen and I'm like, yeah, I'm a complainer at heart. Ask Kelsey. I complain all the time. I'm a very negative person. And, and I get around negative people. I become very negative. You know, school friends, you know, we're around school friends all the time uh, when we're in school. It, easy in classes to talk about people behind their back, to uh, just start to gossip, things like that. As you're around that more often, even if you're super strong at first, that starts to wear you down. And we see that here in the scripture. We see that he starts to make compromises, right? It's not a fast thing 
You know, those kinds of that's falling down is not all the ways immediate. It's not always that real gut neck jerk reaction. Sometimes it's just being around it for a long time. And it just slowly erodes you away. And uh, he made compromises for his wives. Uh, He didn't necessarily believe in their idols at first, but he was just tolerant of it. You know, tolerant of being comfortable, not dealing with it, saying, ah, it's fine, doesn't affect me, you do you, and I'll do me. And apparently we see that over time, that wears you down. And a lot of that comes from being self-confident. I know for me, it's easy to be like, oh, I would never do that. I, I'm, I would never say those things. I would never do those things and become self-confident in our own abilities. We, we forget maybe to, I forget to pray to God uh, during struggles and things like that. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. And I, I have fallen many, many times. I have fallen times last week. Yo, Kelsey and I are redoing our house. Um, and if you know anything about me, projects is not my favorite. It's just not my favorite. And no matter how many projects we do, more come up. And that's great. That, that is great. I love helping out. But what happens is I become very negative. I become very, I, think I start snapping you know, one thing breaks, and then another thing breaks, and it's like this snowball effect. And so what I think that I'm very confident in, I can fix that. I'll fix it. Don't We don't got to call anyone. And then, of course, you know, a couple hours later, we're calling someone, and here they are. But we, we, we want to avoid becoming self-confident, confident in our own. I think that we learned that he ignored his own advice. In, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, it says, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Do you know who wrote that? Solomon did. So he, he ignored his own advice. And eventually, he gradually, over time, joined in on their sin. He began to worship those gods too, which we learn here and we'll read shortly. And it's easy to drift. It's easy to just start to just not even realize it. And all of a sudden we're drifting. Easy to lose sight. You know, um, I, I have some goals that I want to accomplish this year. Uh, one, I want to buy a motorcycle, right? So since Kelsey and I got married... I have said, oh, in 2019, I'm going to get a motorcycle. And it didn't happen. And then in 2020, <laughs> 2020, I'm going to get a motorcycle. didn't happen. 2021, here we go. And so here's 2022, and we've said the exact same thing. But that goal becomes so ingrained in my head. Like, I think about it all the time. What am I going to be able to do to accomplish that? And I become obsessed. I gradually begin to basically worship this God of a motorcycle. And that's what I do. And that is just one very small example of the millions I could give you just from this week on how I 
look at these things and just constantly obsess over it. Basketball cards, magic, so many different video games. All these things I, I think about so much more often than I should and more often and, than God. And I make those decisions a lot of times based on emotion and passion instead of intelligence and rationality. And I think that's what Solomon does as well. It says that he held fast to his sin, and he held fast to them in love in 1 Kings 11, verse 2. And so we learn that his sin was directly against God. It's idolatry. It's a lack of gratitude. And I think about myself, you know, I want more. I want more. I, I, I don't stop and think about that I have a great house, great family, great friends, people who love me. And instead, I'm like, I want a motorcycle. I want a new car. I want a new oven. Is that, that what we want? Yeah, okay. We want a new oven. <laughs> Got to throw, throw in one of the things we're Kelsey. Double oven. Yeah. So... So we learned that God loved Solomon. We took a look at when he lost his love. We took a look at how he lost his love. Now let's take a look at what happened when he lost his love officially. You know, in 1 Kings 11, where we've been sitting, let's read verses 7 and 8 after we just finished 1 through 6. It says, On a hill... East of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Kamash, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Built a high place for all his wives. 700. And I think that what we see is that, and what we're going to learn here, is he left a legacy of idolatry and sin to his children. You know, his sin remained until the time of Josiah, which was 300 years later. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 13, It says, the king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem, on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Kamash, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Here's the scary thing. I think about this, I've thought about this a lot this week, is that, Our sin impacts us, right? But it impacts your family, and it impacts your children, and it impacts your future. Uh, There's a lot of proof of that in the Bible. Uh, Adam and Eve with the garden, their kids. Noah, Canaan was cursed. And we have David. And all of these things we see affects just not themselves. It affects their kids. It affects their future. One thing about me is I try really hard to hold in my feelings. 
And uh, what happens is that I end up bursting out. And I will get a bad attitude and throw a temper. And I think a lot about that when it comes to Sophia and Jackson. You know, Sophia and Jackson, Sophia's 12, Jackson's 6. They, uh, they, they can get under my skin sometimes with the things that they do. And um, what happens is I deal with it, and I deal with it, and I ignore it until eventually I can't ignore it anymore, and I snap. And what happens is, is I'll yell at him, and I'll say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness, usually later, always later. But they remember that. They remember, hey, Gary freaks out sometimes. He yells at us. And I have had to deal with that for a long time. Um, I, I deal with, you know, I, I think over time I've gotten better. And just, I will say that. But what happens is, is every time that they start to see Gary starting to feel a little irritated, they think, oh, man, he might yell at us. And uh, that is something that they carry with them. And I see that how my sin personally affects them personally affects Kelsey. She'll get on edge, feel like she'll have to fix everything because Gary's irritated. And um, it's, it's just more proof that our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects the people who are in around our circle, and they remember those things, and God remembers those things. So that's one thing that we learn is that it, our sin not only impacts us, it impacts our children, and it impacts the future. You know, Solomon's lack of love hurt and angered God. This uh, is, so 1 Kings 11, 9 through 13. Really listen to these words. This is, this is God. And he has some real, you can feel the hurt in his words. He says, the Bible says, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. You can definitely feel the hurt in God's words there. And even in his anger, I think that we see God shows grace. And, and that, that to me is a very comforting part. It, it, he's being punished. But even in his punishment, you see that God favors those he loves and he has grace in that. It's personal, right? Solomon had totally rejected God. Um, who loved him and blessed him. And so you're going to feel that kind of hurt when those things happen. 
You know, Solomon provoked God by turning away the heart by not being all in. You know, God had appeared to Solomon twice, but repaid Solomon's divided heart with a divided kingdom. Just as Solomon divided his affection between gods, God divided up Solomon's kingdom and left him only one tribe for him. You know, there is a warning in the New Testament that we can read, and that's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 through 13. It said, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So here's some questions to contemplate. How has God blessed you? You know, for me, uh, I have a great family. Um, I, I even going even past that, you know, I, I was able to grow up in a church in a loving family. Uh, my family loves me. And, and not everyone has had that same thing. God blessed me to have um, a, a parent who loved me and, and took care of me growing up. Allowed me opportunities. Allowed me to express myself. Allowed me to go out and experience things and travel and do these different things. You know, God has blessed me in so many ways. And it's important that I remember those things because if I don't, I become self-reliant. I fall into those issues that we see Solomon run into. And so, how has God blessed you? How has he shown his special love and his grace to you? You know, for me, I've been punished for my sins. But even in those punishments, you know, God has led, led me in a way that allows me to continue to grow in my relationship. And that is very gracious of him. Because I have made some terrible mistakes growing up in my 38 years of living. If you want to hear about any of them, you come and tap me on the shoulder and I'll share them with you. But there are of all those mistakes that I've made, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still moving forward. And so that question to you is, how has his love and grace uh, been shown to you? Are you responding by going all in, or has your love been compromised? Yo, for me, uh, it's easy for my love of God to be compromised. I mean, you come out with a new Marvel movie, and I'm, uh, here we go, let's go. And now i got to learn about all that, because my wife's going to watch it, and i got to know what's going on. Right? you got new things that come out. We have new, trying to keep up with the Joneses. It feels like my love is always being compromised. And, and as a warning, we learn that th- as it does come compromised, we, we just we got to do the things to get it back in place. That's the difference from Solomon. We have an opportunity. If our love's been compromised, if we're thinking about other things more importantly uh, than God, 
we have an opportunity today to change that. And so, is there something dividing your heart? Oh, again, for me, uh, I, uh, Kelsey and I are, are refinancing our house. And we're going to get some money back. And all I can think about is, what are we going to do with that money? Right? We're, what are we going to do with it? I want to do something with it. And I know she wants to do things with it. And it divides my heart. Money, you know, things, those things divide my heart to the core. And there are many warnings against money in the Bible. And so I, and Solomon's a great example, very rich, very prosperous, you know, easy to become self-reliant. And that divides my heart because I am always thinking about the next thing. Right? What else is going to make me happy material-wise? And so it's a good question to contemplate for yourself. And I think that the last question I want you to think about is, do you know how that makes God feel? I know from doing this lesson and writing down all this stuff and doing it, um, I learned that it, it hurts God. That scripture we just read, 1 Kings 7 through 9, very, very painful words coming from God. You know, that he's saying, man, I gave you all this stuff. I've given you all the prosperity. I've given you wisdom. I've given you this and this and this and this. Because I want you to love me. I want you to thank me and love me. And he doesn't do that. And I've learned that neither do I. And so my step of working on is what can I do to make God feel, you know, proud of me? I know he's proud of me and loves me. He made me. But I want my decisions to reflect that. So what are the next steps? Well, I think that we count our blessings. You know, we count our blessings. What has God shown to you, given to you? We have to make sure that we're, we have gratitude and that we're grateful for those things. I think that, especially for me, we have to cut out our competing loves. What is competing for your attention and your love compared to God? Is it a motorcycle? Is it refinancing your house? Is it school? Is it something else? We have to be able to cut out those competing loves so that God is number one. And I think finally, uh, we got to go all in for God with our love. And that is definitely a lesson to take, you know, going forward. Going all in so that we have success, so that we um, have success, so that we're, we have happiness and wholeness, and really, truly, as a measure of love. So let's kind of wrap it up and prepare for communion. I'm going to read a scripture that you probably all are very familiar with. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 
verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. You know, I've had friends tell me that they love me. But they've taken advantage of me. They've abused me. They talk behind my back. They've belittled me. And they've hurt me. But the question is, did they really love me? And I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes, according to their own definition of love. And if we aren't careful, we can end up just like them and come up with our own definition of love. Perhaps they don't feel loved because it's our own definition. You know, God gives us that definition. Love is patient. With people we want to be impatient with. Love is kind to those that we want to be mean and rude and nasty to. Love is not jealous to the people that got the job, the raise, the promotion, the A on the test, the car, the home, the date, or the spouse. Love does not boast and is not proud. Love does not elevate ourselves while belittling everyone else around us. Love doesn't shine the spotlight on ourselves. So here's our goal as we take communion. Let's use God's definition of love with everyone we come in contact with today. God showed us that love by giving his one and only son. And I think that we have, I I, I think that I have a lot to learn about doing these things going forward. And so I'm thankful that God loves me and gives us that perfect definition of love. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your definition of love so that we don't have to come up with our own. God, I pray that as we take communion, as we go out through our days, that we can be grateful for the blessings you've given us, grateful for the love that you've shown us, and grateful that the grace that you show us. God, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.